So I want to thank, thank these panelists for being willing to have this discussion really about the issue of what it looks like to find connection through vulnerability in leadership. I think each one of these people has a large leadership capacity and I really value them as people and as friends. So let me just start with this. Introduce yourself, um, tell us a little bit about what you do and then tell us why this issue of connection and vulnerability is important to you. My name is Rick Themke. I'm the lead pastor at Via Church, and uh, this topic is important to me. I think just over the years of full-time ministry, um, really sort of trying to flesh out what vulnerability means in leadership, um, how vulnerable can you be with people that you're leading, um, is specifically a topic that I've had to press into, and then also how, uh, as a pastor, we create um, sort of an environment of vulnerability for people to be whole. Hi, my name is Vermon Pierre. I'm lead pastor of Roosevelt Community Church in downtown Phoenix. Um, <laughs> represent. <laughs> um, reason I think this topic is important, uh, many different reasons, but I'm just thinking about it in terms of you know longevity as as a leader, uh, particularly in ministry. That if we are to um, be able to to last in environments. Uh, that can be tough and trying over the years. It becomes really important to to know yourself, uh, to to know your own story. Has been said often um, to admit your own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Uh, how much there's often a disconnect over that, and that starts very early on in ministry. Uh, the need to um, to possess that more and to know that more and to press into that more. So that's why I think it's a, a really important topic. My name is Danae, and I am married to my best friend Vermon. And um, you know, I think a big part of my uh, calling and longing to be in ministry was this desire to help create family and connection. Um, but just, you know, like Vermont said so quickly, um, it becomes something that you're doing um, as opposed to this family that you're enjoying and it can affect your deepest connections. And so um, I think even just going into like as a husband and wife and with our kids and as a family and then from that deep connection um, flowing out into serving others, I think this topic is essential because leadership can easily be a mask um, in which you can operate in your strengths um, and get a lot of credit for it while a lot um, of disconnection and pain is happening underneath. And so I think it's something that's really important that we talk about. And I'm Chris Gonzalez. I pastor a church called Missio Day here in Tempe. That is not gonna represent and also, <laughs> and, uh, also uh, help direct the Mitchell Training Center at Theological Education Initiative uh, here in the Valley among the Surge churches. So uh, connections important for me. Uh, one, our church, we are based out of these Mitchell communities, so try to uh, want everyone to be in a, in a smaller community that you're serving together, but uh, ideally that that connection can happen. So I've really thought about it in terms of that. Uh, now being about a decade into after since we've planted our church and honest quite honestly I've seen a lot of my peers uh, not make it due to lack of connection uh, and lack of vulnerability and trying to hide things and then the stuff blows up and uh, and then just for myself uh, I think over the last I've been on a journey especially over the especially over the last year of, uh, of learning a lot of these things and spending time with Caleb and things like that so so, Vermont, can I start with you? Let's, um, let's just talk about this idea of leaders needing to wear masks. Um, if you were to answer that question, what kind of masks do leaders wear? 
and then why did they wear them? Well, I think there's a long list, <laughs> um, but there's, a, there's about four or five I thought of when I was thinking about this question earlier. Um, I think one of them is uh, efficiency. I think leaders have a very strong temptation to say as long as almost, you know, the trains are running on time, so uh, pressing into making sure everything is, is operating at the most optimal um, position. Uh, I think we got my mask. See, look, this is I'm I'm a good leader because everything is, is happening the way it needs to. So that's one. I think uh, a second one is what I call activity or busyness. And I think that's probably the most popular one, where um, the the mask is that, look. I'm doing lots of different things, so I must be okay. Uh, lots of things are happening, whether they're orderly or, or in chaos. At least I'm doing a lot of different things, uh, and that becomes a huge cover. Um, certainly, another one, a third one I would list is success. Uh, and this is someone, this is one almost gets imposed on you, where people say, hey, what you're doing is working, and, and obviously you must be a great leader, and you begin to possess that, and, and this, is, this gets into what we were saying earlier in that other question. Um, you may be very aware, well, no, I'm, I'm sort of a mess inside, but I'm successful, people are saying I'm successful, and so that becomes your, your identity when it's really not your identity. Um, so two more that I, I would list is, um, I sort of call it deflecting, if I can put it that way. Where, um, so yeah, maybe this is where you're not necessarily going as well, as, as things aren't going as well as you, as you want them to be as a leader, but you're constantly just sort of deflecting it out. It's other people's problems, it's other issues, it's things that are outside of your control. Um, you, you, you're unwilling to deal with it because it's, it's so hard and, and obviously there's the disconnect with your own self. And then uh, lastly, I think a defeatism too, where you almost, um, I think I'm asked some people from where is like, yeah, look, I'm, I suck, right? I'm terrible, this is just who I am. And uh, that becomes, something you, you become very comfortable in that position, which again is just not really dealing with anything, it's just a way of, uh, of, of holding on to something that you think will help you feel stable. Thank you. So if we think about these leaders taking this mask off, I guess my question for you, Rick, would be, is it even a safe place, um, is it even safe to do that for leaders with those whom they're leading? I think in the, in the short answer, it's yes. I think the bigger question is how, how vulnerable are you, to what extent, and with, to whom? Um, I, I, I think that if we don't, as leaders, acknowledge our own pain, our own suffering, we do a massive disservice by sort of putting um, a false example in front of people. Uh, but one of the things that I, I sort of operate from in ministry is the appropriate information to the appropriate people at the appropriate time. And so uh, if, if you be, remove that mask in a way that's unhealthy from the platform, for, for instance, in preaching, um, I always say anything I ever share from the platform in preaching should never shock the people that are closest to me. If somebody's close to me and they're hearing me confess something or weakness or vulnerability from the platform, and people that are close to me are going, I, I didn't know that about him. I think it's, it's inappropriate. Um, and so I think speaking in general terms uh, from a platform is one thing. Um, but I think there's levels. There's levels of relationships. Um, when you're uh, talking about preaching, which I've done now for, I just sort of woke up this morning and realized this week is 30 years of, of weekly preaching ministry for me. Um, this weekend. Uh, when I think about uh, having a preaching ministry um, and every single Sunday having, uh, you know, a thousand people listen, um, there's no way you can have the kind of relationship with each of those people that you would share um, 
certain areas of your life. And it would be actually, I think, inappropriate from a platform uh, to do that. And so people have images of you. They might know things about you, but they don't always know you. And so I think there's, there's circles in which you have that kind of intimacy. Um, I, there's, there's pastoral relationships that are incredibly important. But when you're talking about being a leader and then sharing with people that you're leading, um, I think it all depends upon relationship, uh, that it's appropriate things that you're sharing to the appropriate people at appropriate times is really important. So it's not always appropriate for everybody to know everything about the leader. Absolutely. And I think, I think especially as I hear uh, younger pastors in the pastorate, we all come in with an idealism like, I want to be vulnerable. Like, I have nothing to hide. I, you know, we should just say it all, all the time. And I don't know that that's always healthy. Uh, and I think it's an ideal thought to have. But I also think that there's a healthy boundaries uh, in leadership that you share the right things at the right place. Love that. Thank you. So kind of jumping over to Danae and Chris. With this issue of wearing masks and being vulnerable, and then this issue of insecurity, um, talk a little bit about how insecurity and comparison kind of ruptures that relationship to collaborate with other churches and other ministry leaders. Um, I mean, I think the simplest answer to your question is it does. Like there's a direct correlation with it. And so our, I think as, I mean, I, I can speak as, as pastors, because if you have, it depends on what you're measuring and what you're, you're, you're determining as success. And so if success is my church growing, my church being seen some specific way, my, about my church, then Vermont's church is a competition to that. And even more so this church, Redemption Tempe, because this is right here in my backyard like it becomes, it becomes competition. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm not going to want to be vulnerable to, I, I'm not going to want to work with Ricardo, work with Vermon, work with Rick. I'm not going to want to work with different people because um, we're all trying to build our own kingdoms. And then to go off what, what some people have been talking about today. And, and in that, as I'm, the reason I'm doing that and trying to build my kingdom and I have anxiety about that is because I'm worried about dying. And I'm getting my, my identities coming from, my, it's so easy for identity to come from ministry and to come from like the church becomes or the, whatever the organization is, that becomes what I'm getting my identity from and what my ultimate success will come from. And so I see, uh, you end up seeing others as competitors rather than collaborators. But I think something fundamentally changes and not, not to just sound trite, but something fundamentally changes when when the kingdom isn't about my ministry or my church, but the kingdom becomes about the kingdom of God, this kind of holistic, all, and, and from creation to new creation, that God is on this mission to do this kingdom, and seeing our, our local churches as expressions and as all working together for this other, for this kingdom. But it requires, I don't know, for me it's required over the, over the years uh, a change in what, and how I define success, and seeing success as the witness to the gospel across the city growing. Not and, and if that means that my church even shrinks even more or is less known or is whatever that is, but if it's that the witness to the gospel in total across the city is growing, then that's a success. Mm -hmm. And it's a, 
Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to get to, to that place, I think, for a lot of leaders, and it's not the default. And so when I go, when I talk to leaders, to other pastors from around uh, the country, and they hear, and, and it's not like, I don't think any of us are just saying like, hey, we all love each other, and we're all working together in this unity, but they, they actually just hear about the ways that we're working together, and loving each other, and working in unity, and, and collaborate, and some of the collaborative efforts that No Doubt Danae will talk about with Surge, when they hear about that, it's, a, it's it, it shocks me again and again, because I feel like we've just been in the midst of this, and it becomes natural, but it continues to shock me how surprising it is for other people. So like in our city, like people don't, the churches don't work together like this. They don't collaborate. They don't love each other. There's not a genuine love amongst the leaders. And, uh, and it's a shame that that's not the way it naturally is. I think it's because a lot of, a lot of the leaders here in the Valley have, have done some of the work that we've been talking about this weekend. Yeah, I think, I think insecurity, maybe just echoing off of what Chris said, is in leadership and how it impacts collaboration is how it does it in any relationship. So um, when you sense insecurity, when you begin to feel insecurity in marriage or in your small group with, your, with a new, you know, new members joining your small group and you begin to notice that you're thinking what other people think and you recognize insecurity, it's, you know, what, I think what's been said the last day and a half is that awareness that things are not okay, I am not enough, and I think what's so deceptive about what the enemy does in the midst of like the, the very healing that we need is to step into closer relationship with each other, which then brings about more insecurity because more is revealed. Um, and yet that's where we get to encounter and taste more of God's grace and mercy. And so, yeah, we're, it is true. Like people often say like, wow, there's, it's so beautiful what's happening. And then also we could also say, well, it's also probably, we could also probably have the most ugly things happening too, because the more we press in relationally to one another, the more of each other's junk we see and the more we need to retreat to our marriages and, and it, it's revealing. It's, and so I think insecurity um, is, a, is a gift in that it, it provides an indicator to a leader that there's something internal going on and it's not about the room, but it's about you. And so there's some like things to sit with, with Jesus and maybe these close friends. Um, and the very healing that's provided is the ability to do greater collaboration. And so my favorite thing, when I think about just the collaboration happening in our city on all sorts of things, like surge is, is only one, um, you know, let's pick foster care or I mean, in this room, I'm seeing like three or four different collaborative movements on, you know, refugees and foster care and trauma-informed congregations. Like there's, there have been moments, all of us could say, like, over and over and over again that we thought it would all fall apart because where you press in to collaborate, mass disruption and division happen and you have to stay present and keep working on yourself and that relationship for it to happen. Mm. The thing I think about that is if there's supposed to be collaboration, then there's supposed to be vulnerability and that's hard. What would be one thing that you think would need to change for leaders in order for them to experience a little bit more vulnerability? And I'll throw that out to anybody who wants to answer that question. I would just say that conversation needs to move from the superficial to the really important things. Even as pastors, we get together and, and right away, hey, what have you been up to? What are you working on? What's going on at the church? We, we talk about the surface things um, but it's, it's that moment where we step out and say something that, um, 
that goes beyond that, something where we share a hurt, where we share a pain. And we do that, I think, sometimes in some of our meetings together, um, where we share things that are um, stuff you just wouldn't say from a platform. It's stuff that you, you have to say to colleagues. You have to say to people that are in um, a similar type position to understand the nuances of what that actually means and how we flesh that out and how do we um, hold each other uh, accountable in ways that we minister with integrity um, as, as people that are broken, ministering to people that are broken. Um, so I think just probably pressing conversation beyond the superficial. Yeah, I would also say in any form of leadership, so again, in our, even our local church context, that we have to love one another more than what anyone else is doing. And so if we don't draw near to relationships because of people's position or status or what role they have, we do it because we really enjoy being around them. And if that is what's driving our connection and collaboration with each other, that's also what's going to be the most helpful um, to make it a safe place. And I think it's where we'll see the greatest fruit. I just think it takes a lot of time. I, I just don't think it's something that can happen easily. I think to, to whatever degree people own these things, then praise God, great. But it takes time and it takes um, and I'll, I'll speak uh, particularly as a minority, and almost there's almost little steps that go along the way. And so there's things I feel very strongly about what's happening in our country, things I feel strongly about our city, other things like that. But I, I've learned that it takes a long time for me to realize, okay, can I really be open for how this is making me feel? Um, how, do, how can I, is this a place where I can really process that, even if it's not all together? Uh, and I realize that like there's only, I, you know, you can't lay that all out initially. Um, it takes, there's almost, it takes, it's like multiple stages over time, and frankly, some people aren't really ready for that, right? And, and that's okay, um, but I think that's, that's one of those things. I think for, for this to really happen, you have to be realized, like, you have to, first of all, yeah, believe that it's worth doing, have a commitment towards it, and just accept that, um, particularly for some of us, um, it's, it might take a few years to figure out, okay, okay, this, this, this can be a place for me to be able to be uh, vulnerable and open and process the things that I need to in all the areas that I, that I have to face. I think two things jump to mind. One is that uh, in this, I think uh, in a lot of our churches, we have not done a great job over the years, to be quite honest, about talking about the things we've been talking about this weekend. And so it's not, it's not, a, it's not common parlance. It's not uh, in, the, in the water. And it has maybe has been a little bit more of, well, you need to deal with the sin, deal with the idolatry. Let's work on that gospel issue in a, in a more simplest, simplistic way. And so if that's been the culture that we've created as leaders, then that's also, by definition, that's the culture that we've been a part of. So we need to not just change this for the people in our congregations or the people that we're leading, but it needs a, it needs a hit for us as well. And that's going to require repentance. And that's a, I think that's a, a big thing for, for what that I've seen over the last year is it requires repenting, change instead of going this way, we're going to turn and go this way and do something different in how we talk about these things and, um, and the, the kind of culture that we're creating. The thing I think about with vulnerability and connection is the need to speak the truth at times, but to do it with love. Can you just share a little bit, whoever would like to share about how to do that well, when you need to speak truth, but to also speak it with love? I think Ephesians 4 is always a guide for me on that, um, that we bear with one another 
but we do that with humility and gentleness. And I think the humility and gentleness is that really key part. Um, I, I, I think it, even just over these last few hours all sitting here together, um, there's a gentleness and a humility that's coming over us because we're, we're learning how to talk about things and learning that there's hurt and pain behind it rather than judging the action of someone's sin. Um, and then I think uh, as well, I think Henry Nowen, who's been quoted a couple times this weekend, but uh, that we're wounded healers. Um, when, when there's a lack of humility, a lack of gentleness, um, there's usually a self-righteousness that's there. There's some, I'm living in this perfection. We're all living in this perfection. We can't believe you have failed. Um, but I think that when, there's, uh, when we bear with one another with humility, with gentleness, it's a gr it, it, that comes from an awareness of our own brokenness, um, that when we see someone who's in sin or someone who's failed or someone um, that is having an issue, an addiction in their life, we have to come to them with that great understanding that we're all broken, we're all um, hurting, and that we're coming alongside them at that moment. Yeah, I would just say, I think the truth that we're always speaking is that God meets us as broken people with his grace and mercy and lavish love. And so if we, if we really believe that, um, and we really love the people that we're speaking that to, um, that, 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 that's always the truth. And that, that might be a truth that people repel from, and it might be really hard and painful to hear. But I think if we know in our own stories where it's been hard to let that truth be spoken out loud, um, we can be patient and wait. And I think of the father and the prodigal son, like walking and waiting, and then when he finally sees him, runs and embraces him. Like, that's, that's what telling the good news is. And so I think, yeah, I agree with Rick. I think a lot of times when we think speaking the truth in love, it's like, okay, I gotta speak this truthful statement to you about this thing that you're doing wrong. And I'm, I'm thinking about your diagram that you had up there. We're going to that last, like, here's where you're acting out. Like, I wanna call you out on, I'm gonna act you out. And so how do we do that in a nice, fluffy, kind way? I don't think that's what it's getting at at all. But so similar to what Danae's saying, the speak the truth, the truth being, hey, let's go back up on this diagram to where, in this, and hit the cycle earlier, let's talk about the pain from your past. But to do that, not just in a, in a nice, fluffy way, emotional way, but to do that when it says in love, I think in the context of love, in the context of a loving, safe relationship, and knowing to where the person knows, and I'm gonna still be here even when you don't change right now, right away but that, hey, we're in this for the long run. And I think that's where we have a, a huge advantage as the church, where the, the, the primary metaphors that, that the New Testament uses is, is family. And so we're, we're family, we're in this together. We're not just here um, you know, today and then gone tomorrow, but we're, we're walking, we're committed to walking through the long process through this because it's gonna be longer than just saying, hey, you need to quit doing this and I still love you. But it's, gotta, it's gonna be a longer process. It's really good. This wasn't something I was originally going to ask you, but if maybe each one of you could just share a little bit of what are some of those qualities that you think, um, when we think about a best friend, when we think about someone who we can go to confide in, what kinds of qualities do you imagine that that person needs to have in order to be that person? Um, I think uh, 
degree of openness. Uh, there's, this is a relationship that uh, things can come out uh, that need to become out, that need that they're able to come out, uh, and that there's there isn't sort of walls put on on lots of categories uh, in this relationship. Um, but there can be openness in how a conversation happens. Uh, uh, secondly, I think grace is hugely important in quality. Um, that um, the ability to I mean, grace is undeserved favor, right? That yeah, you, you ticked me off here, but I, I'm still showing you favor, <laughs> right, and, and grace. I, I didn't like what you said, but my, I lean in towards you with grace. Uh, I'm almost generous with it, um, that there's nothing that can be said here that doesn't still get favor and blessing from me to you. I mean, that's, I think it's essential to have uh, friends uh, that are able to do that towards you. I would say trustworthiness. I think uh, the fact that you can... The whole reason why we're talking about vulnerability is that we know it's not always safe. You know, what makes being vulnerable not safe? Um, even as a leader, um, uh, we talk about these things because we've been burned. All of us have been burned where you have shared something of your life or you have shared a struggle with someone that you thought you wanted to connect with deeply or that they could help or you needed someone to pray with you. Um, and in leadership, it takes such discernment because people can use that against you in a moment of their own pain, um, in a moment where they're disappointed with you. They can use those things against you. Um, that's the risk of leadership. That's the risk of all of us. I mean, I think right now, I've, as I've watched, uh, my wife and I have been here all last night and today, like this room has become, a, it's a much more safe place right now than it was at six o'clock last night. We all came in going, we have no idea what this is gonna be like. What are we gonna talk about? Am I even gonna like this? Can I sit that long? Um, and, but then the, the more we talk about things, the more normal it is to talk about things. Um, the more we shroud it with uh, secrecy or just uh, avoidance, the more difficult it is to talk about those things. So the trustworthiness is, Someone that you can you can continue to to share things with, and you know that they're for you. They're not against you. They're for you, and that that um, it's never going to come out in an inappropriate way in other places. But they're for you. They pray with you. They follow up with you on that, and it's a safe place to be able to share. I think one of the pictures I had in mind. I was thinking about some of my best friends, and I think there's the ability to say they're sorry and ask forgiveness. So I think about a year and a half ago, maybe longer, um, I had some best friends that we were a decade into our relationship who shared some things that I had told them in confidence. And uh, my first reaction was, I'm done. Like, no longer my best friends. Um, and we talked about it, and we cried together, and they asked my forgiveness. And I thought they were my best friends before, but now it's like, no, we're family. And these are the people that if we're alive at 80, We'll still be hanging out. Um, so it, it was one of the most profound moments in my life um, in which I had to face, like, do you press in and give someone opportunity to repent or not? And they were, they had proven themselves trustworthy enough. So it wasn't just my courage, but it was their trustworthiness that Rick talked about that allowed me to sit across from them and bring it to them. And then their courage not to hide or make it an excuse, but to ask my forgiveness. Um, it's radically reshaped um, a lot of our relationship. I think uh, for me personally, I'm much more comfortable being in your seat asking the questions than you're answering questions, not just on a stage, but in life. 
Like I'm very good at asking questions and getting other people to talk about themselves and talk about their stuff, but in a, in a sense to keep the table from being turned to where it's got to come back on me. And, and then even when, I, when I'll answer someone's question, I have this thing in, in the back of my head that they don't really care. They don't really, like, let me just tell this real quick so I don't bore them, and then we'll get back to, to their stuff. And so uh, having a couple friends, uh, and, and this is the thing, and I'd love to have more conversations about boundaries and, and how this works in people in the church. I think I agree with everything Rick said earlier, and proper information, proper time, proper uh, people, but and boundaries and a lot of this, but at the same time, I have people within our church who are friends who um, who genuinely care and will ask those questions and just sit and sit and be patient and just make me like not let me redirect the conversation back and i think it's for me something fundamentally changed uh when i realized i went from being i think a lot of us as pastors can see ourselves in the, in the image of like a hired hand so like i'm a hired gun i'm doing this job you know for this group of people but i'm an employee so to speak if we're if we're, if we're honest went from seeing that to saying no i'm a part of the family and so I'm not just here because I'm getting a paycheck. I'm getting a paycheck because this family has said, we're going to free you up to equip us to do this work. But then now I'm one of, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm a part of this. And so having people that would be willing to, to not let me just keep asking questions, but to turn the table and say, and to genuinely take interest and care about me. So, Great. so if we were to flip that over, those are beautiful qualities. But if we were to flip that over and we were to say, what? Are those qualities in a relationship that deteriorate trust and vulnerability and connection? What would be some of those things? Qualities that really rip apart those relationships. I don't know that I can describe a quality in, in a word, but in, in thought, I think one of the, when you become vulnerable and you share, if if the relationship with the person you're sharing with never seems to deepen, it doesn't, it doesn't get better, the relationship doesn't grow or build from your sharing, to me that just halts vulnerability. Uh, if, if I share something with somebody that I'm just hoping this will be connection, and there's just never, uh, the next time you see them, it, it's not deeper, it's not more meaningful, to me, that's just something that just like, hey, I'm not going to do that again. Um, because, again, vulnerability is, is this two-way kind of a street. The, the relationship builds. Like, you know, Janae was just talking about navigating with friends through a broken trust. Um, the relationship is deeper on the other side. But when we share our lives, uh, for me, when I share my life with someone and it's not reciprocated or the relationship doesn't build or deepen, it's extremely disappointing, and it just makes me want to say, I'm, I'm just not doing that again. I think uh, any lack of commitment um, from, the, from the person to you. So I think it's hard to build uh, just kind of relationships of vulnerability. I'm talking about relationships that are, that are deep, right? That, I mean, they're not superficial. So if there's not a, a commitment to that relationship, if, you know, I've had people over the years say, Ramon, you know, we are really good friends. I consider you one of my best friends, but you know, I don't might not hear them hear from them like maybe once or twice a year, <laughs> right? Um, and obviously, there's, there can be different reasons for that, but it just makes me realize, well, that's okay. I mean, it's a, it's a legit relationship, but it's not that type of relationship, right? Or someone says, yeah, let's let's get together, but they're constantly canceling, or there's always 
there's always reasons why um, they can't, again, spend the time that's needed for these type of relationships. Uh, I think it becomes really hard. If, no matter the words that are said, if there's not a real sense of commitment and commitment as expressed through, through time, through even sacrifice, yeah, I'm willing to, to give up doing these other things so I can be there with you, um, then yeah, it becomes, uh, th that, that de certainly deteriorates uh, the kind of relationship that uh, we're talking about here. echo what you guys said I think uh, a superficiality or like uh, yeah when people if you share something deeply I think just people don't know what to do with that a lot of times and so okay yeah oh man that's tough oh and just like want to want to move past that really quickly yeah I think one of the, maybe one of the things I thought of was just the feeling of like trying to be fixed um, or like what you know problem-solving um, it seems to take it out of a moment of connection and kind of into this like scientific lab room where we need to like fix the problem makes it uh, hard to stay connected. So last two questions here, just very briefly. Um, in one word, first question, in one word, uh, tell us what leaders are most afraid of and then again in one word, tell us what the leaders need the most. One word, what are they most afraid of? And one word, what do they need the most? Um, one word uh, leaders are most afraid of, uh, what comes to mind is rejection. Um, and then I think the, the one word that uh, we said leaders need the most, um, I'd say embrace. Yeah, I'd say the, the one word they're afraid of the word that comes about sham, that people would find out that they are that they're a fake, that the ministry is a sham. That uh, I think as a leader, you know all the holes and faults and stuff, and so that that would be found out. So it's, it's like a shame behind that. And what people need most, uh, unconditional acceptance. I guess to know that even that that uh, that somebody else would know. Yeah, I know there's holes. I know you're a fake in these different ways, and I still unconditionally love and accept you. I would say they, uh, what they fear most is insignificance. And probably what they need most is uh, care. Um, maybe death and friendship. Excellent. Thank you for being willing to dig into a difficult discussion. Can we give them a round of applause?